folks. Welcome to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, we're going to look into the delay of the Ubuntu 2204.1 point release that was due to come out uh, just today, actually. It's been delayed by a week, so we'll dig into some of the details around that. Plus, we're going to have a deep dive into what community-sponsored security updates looks like, what the process is there, and kind of what that's all about. And we will do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the support of the Ubuntu releases for the past week. So this week, there were 75 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. And up first was an update for Intel Microcode for our Ubuntu 6.04 Extended Security Maintenance customers. I actually talked about this one back in uh, episode 164, where I covered it for uh, those stable releases. Uh, now it's been uh, backported to our 6.04 ESM customers. This isn't going to be backported to 14.04 ESM because that doesn't support uh, early loading of Microcode. So yeah, that one's not affected really by that. But uh, yeah, this does cover the latest uh, upstream release of Intel Microcode, which is IPU 2022.1, and includes fixes for MMIO stale data and a bunch of other vulnerabilities that we did cover back in episode 164. After that, we had an update for MySQL. Uh, this is for Ubuntu releases uh, 16.04 Extended Security Maintenance, 18.04, 20.04, and 22.04 long-term support. Uh, this is the latest point releases of uh, MySQL from Oracle, and that is uh, 80.0.30 for our more recent releases, so 20.04 and 22.04 long-term support, and 5.7.39 uh, for the older releases, so that's 16.04 ESM and 18.04 long-term support. Uh, as always from Oracle, this includes both security and bug fixes, as well as new features and some possible incompatible changes. As a result, uh, yeah, they are the latest releases that have come straight from upstream there. After that, there's an update for libtirpc. Uh, this is uh, the transport independent RPC library and is used by all kinds of things in Ubuntu. Uh, so that's like even AutoFS, libvirt, NFS utils, Python, Samba, uh, YP tools, and even more. Uh, this is for Ubuntu releases 20.04 and 22.04 long-term support. A single vulnerability here where it would fail to properly handle timeouts from clients. Uh, and so then it would keep open file descriptors to those. Eventually then it would exhaust all available file descriptors and wouldn't be able to accept new connections. Uh, in this case, it wouldn't actually detect the fact that it had run out of them and it would just busy loop then trying to accept new connections even if it had no available file descriptors to do so. So essentially, you know, a lot of clients could exhaust that and uh, yeah, cause a denial of service against uh, the server. So that has now been fixed. Firefox was updated after that to the latest upstream release, 103.0. Uh, six CVEs here for Ubuntu releases 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support. Uh, Firefox is now a snap on 22.04 long-term support, uh, so that does get updated automatically by Mozilla. Uh, that will come up again a bit later in the episode, so yeah, watch out for that. We had an update for the Linux kernel then, uh, four CVEs for the Linux kernel in uh, 22.04 long-term support, and that is now actually used as the hardware enablement kernel for 20.04 long-term support, and that's a 5.15 based kernel. In this case, there was a use after free in the Atheros Ath9K driver uh, when handling certain error conditions. Uh, Sun RPC and floppy drivers as well had use after freeze too. There's also a type confusion bug in the NetFilter subsystem. So a local user then who has cap netadmin, and that's actually not too normal to have. However, if you do have unprivileged user namespaces enabled, uh, a local user can then uh, essentially become root within one of those and have cap netadmin as a result. Uh, they can then tri trigger this to get privilege escalation. An update for the Linux kernel for some of our uh, OEM platforms in Ubuntu releases 22.04 and 20.04 long-term support as well. Uh, that is a uh, 5.14 kernel for uh, 24.04 long-term support and a 5.17 kernel for uh, 22.04. Uh, in that case, it was that NetField privilege escalation that I just talked about uh, was updated for that. 
We also had an update for the kernel in Ubuntu 24 long-term support. That's a 5.4 based kernel. And it's also used on some of our platforms for 8.04 long-term support now. In this case, uh, it was for our NVIDIA Bluefield uh, platform for 20.04 long-term support and GCP and GKE, uh, so cloud environments under Google for uh, 8.04 long-term support. Six out of seven of the CVEs covered here are used after free bugs. Uh, three of them are in the AX25 amateur radio protocol driver, one in the 6-pack and MKIS protocol subsystems, and one within the eight devices USB to CAN and floppy drivers as well. Uh, there was also an issue where KVM hypervisor failed to handle guest translation lookaside buffer invalidations. As a result, a guest could then corrupt host memory. As I say, yeah, the result of all of these really is memory corruption. Uh, therefore, a crash could possibly uh, be triggered, but also possible code execution as well. Thanks to the kernel team for fixing all of those. Uh, similarly, they updated the kernel on uh, Azure for our 604 extended security maintenance customers. Uh, this is a 4.15 based kernel. Uh, most of these are the same vulnerabilities I mentioned earlier, plus some um, that I've actually talked about in previous episodes. So things like uh, an issue in uh, secret process migration that could result in privilege escalation and a use after free in the few subsystem. One more kernel update, uh, that's a 4.4 based kernel for our 604 extended security maintenance customers. And it's also used uh, for some of the kernel uh, variants on 14.04 extended security maintenance as well. In this case, the race condition that could lead to user after free in the IGMP protocol implementation. Uh, a local user then could use this to get uh, denial of service or possible code execution. Uh, memory corruption within the USB gadget driver that could be probably triggered by local devices. Uh, an out of bounds read in the RN disk driver, uh, that's information leak or crash as a result of that. And that net filled the privilege escalation bug that I talked about earlier as well. Uh, that is it for the weekend uh, kernel updates. A few more security updates to go through though. Had an update for uh, Samba for 22 for long term support and 20 for long term support. Six CVEs were rolled into this. Uh, it didn't handle the max query duration uh, parameter as expected. Also, there's a possible privilege escalation uh, that could be triggered uh, through, uh, well, through when changing passwords because it wasn't enforcing restrictions properly. A separate password-based privilege escalation uh, since a user could forge a password request with their own key, uh, but it was then destined for another user and therefore change uh, the password of another user and essentially take over their account. And that included the ability to take over domain admins as well. Uh, there was a memory corruption that could be triggered uh, through a crafted LDAP request uh, leading to denial of service or information leak. Uh, now, so unfortunately, due to the large amount of code churn that's happened in Samba from the older version that uh, we ship in 18.04 long-term support, that's 4.7.6, uh, compared to the current upstream release where these sorts of patches are being made against, it's not really possible for us to backport these without uh, introducing a serious risk of regression. Uh, and so these are not going to be patched for 18.04 long-term support. It's getting quite difficult to support Samba on 18.04 long-term support going forward. So uh, yeah, people are advised if you are running that there and you're concerned about these sorts of bugs are uh, to be upgrading your Ubuntu release to say 24 long-term support or 22 long-term support if you can. And that way you'll keep receiving uh, security support for Samba. Net SMNMP was updated, uh, various memory corruption bugs here, six of them uh, for Ubuntu releases 1804, 2004, and 22 for long-term support. Uh, in this case, uh, out-of-bounds reads, null pointed to references, buffer overflows, all of those can be triggered through crafted SNMP requests, uh, leading to a crash, uh, denial of service, or uh, remote code execution. And finally, NTFS 3G was updated for 604 extended security maintenance. Uh, this is uh, the same set of vulnerabilities that I talked about back in episode 163 for our uh, long-term support releases. Uh, these are things like a denial of service or possible remote code execution through uh, mounting of crafted disk images. Uh, mishandling of file handles that could then uh, lead to an arbitrary memory read-write uh, bug, so you could then imagine code execution as a result of that. 
uh, all the ability to intercept traffic between uh, fuse and the kernel, leading to an information leak and the like. And that is it for the week in security updates. All right, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about this week was uh, I wanted to give a bit of an overview of uh, how we sponsor community security updates as the Ubuntu security team. So as you're probably aware, having listened to this podcast, but maybe not, I thought I'd go back over a little bit of, I guess, history and details to give some context to this. So the Ubuntu security team maintains uh, packages within the main and restricted uh, components within Ubuntu. So the Ubuntu archive is divided up into four main components. Main and restricted, uh, they both are, yeah, are supported, but main is free software uh, that is supported by the uh, Ubuntu security team and by Canonical. Uh, restricted is non-free software that is also supported by uh, Canonical and therefore the Ubuntu security team. We then have Universe, which is free software that is supported by the community, and we have Multiverse, which is uh, non-free software that is supported by the community. Canonical supports a couple parts of that. Uh, they make up, I guess, less of the archive than, say, Universe and Multiverse together. There's a lot more packages in those uh, parts of there. But the idea then is that, you know, if you are looking for something that is in Universe and you want security support for that, you can actually go and support that yourself. But how do you do that when you're not actually, you know, able to, say, commit to Ubuntu directly and upload packages? The idea is that uh, the security team will sponsor your fixes for you. How do you get your security fixes to us? Well, that's the next part. Uh, you need to file a bug on Launchpad. That means creating a Launchpad account, which is super easy. You go to uh, Launchpad and then create an account via uh, login.ubuntu.com, the uh, SSO service. And then you can go and create your Launchpad account and uh, off you can go. You then file a bug against the particular packaging question and you attach a deb diff. Now, if you're not too familiar with Debian packaging, uh, there's another concept, a deb diff. That's a difference between two different Debian packages, and uh, in particular, their source packages. So uh, as we talked a few times on this podcast about uh, Debian packages, they start off as source packages, which I guess can kind of be thought of, say, as like a tarball or maybe a Git repo, that kind of thing where you've got all the source code just sitting there. Uh, that eventually gets built and compiled into what are the binary packages and there's a bunch of metadata that describes how to build it, uh, what are the actual binary packages that should be built, like maybe one source package generates a number of different binary packages, like if it's a library you might have say the actual library that gets generated plus development, uh, a dev package for that which is then like headers and other things as well. Uh, but yeah, and so that's all described within that and what you need to provide uh, the Ubuntu security team with though and like with any other I guess update within Ubuntu like a stable release update is a dev diff which is a, a diff that is from uh, the two Debian source packages. There's a command called debdiff that generates this uh, and it's also generated by some of the standard build tools as well uh, when you're doing a normal build. And so uh, what, what should be in that debdiff though is the bare minimum changes that are needed to fix the vulnerability. Now, uh, often upstream projects will release, say, a whole new version when they're doing security updates. You know, so they maybe have version 1.2 is the current stable version, then they release version 1.3 is the patch, or maybe 1.2.1, whatever it is. But in Ubuntu, we don't work that way. Uh, once a release is made, uh, a stable release, we don't then generally update the version numbers of packages. We say stick with that 1.2 version, and then we add kind of incremental patches on top of it. That's why you'll see versions like 1.2-Ubuntu 1 or 1.2-Ubuntu 1.1 or that kind of thing. Uh, it's our way of sort of adding uh, an extra sort of suffix to the uh, upstream version number so that you know that we've kind of added some changes to it, but it's really based on that original version. The reason we do that is that often when upstreams do new releases, uh, they don't just introduce, say, security fixes. They might introduce bug fixes as well. Or maybe since the Ubuntu release was made, a number of different upstream releases have been made and then they go and release their security patches again. We don't want to have to upgrade a package, say, from 1.2 to all the way to 1.5 or maybe 2.0 just to get security fixes. So instead, we take the minimum change that comes from upstream, uh, their patches, and we add that into the Debian source package. We rebuild the package and you then generate your dev diff that then hopefully contains 
just that minimum change and uh, a new change log entry within the Debian package that describes what you've done. So regarding patches on top of packages, uh, a lot of packages use uh, the quilt tool to manage those. Uh, some don't, but yeah, a lot of them do. So I'm going to describe that one because it is the most popular. Effectively, within the Debian package, you've got all the source code there. Uh, quilt then manages a directory of patches plus a series file that uh, says what the, you know, the names of the different patches are and in which order they should be applied. So when you add your patch or that comes hopefully from the upstream repo, maybe you had to make some minor modifications, but yeah, that's just an extra patch added to quilt. And then the resulting dev diff then should only really contain uh, an extra entry in the Debian changelog file, uh, an extra entry in the Debian series file, which is the name of the patch, plus then uh, the patch itself within under Debian patches usually. Now, yeah, there are lots of ways that Debian pa uh, packages can actually be uh, constructed. You know, that is sort of, I guess, the most popular one. So yeah, but I won't go into all the other details of all the other patch systems like uh, dpatch and cdbs and the like. But uh, yeah, so that gives you a little bit of a flavor, I guess, if, if you were to produce a deb diff, what should be in it? And in particular, uh, that patch file that you're adding to uh, the patches directory really needs to be based on the upstream patch. You know, we want to make sure as the security team that uh, you're only introducing the minimal changes that are needed to fix the vulnerability. You know, there shouldn't be anything like, uh, I don't know, maybe fixes to spelling uh, things that you might find in the code or white space changes or anything like that or even any other commits just because you thought, ah, oh, that looks like a good feature to add, or hey, there's a little bug fix there. I'm going to bring that in as well because I'm doing this update. We really only want to uh, add the changes that fix the particular security issue in question to minimize the chance of any regression that happens as a result of doing that update. Other thing we want to do is make sure that I guess the fix is the correct one. We want to use upstream's fix because they know their code best. Uh, we don't want to you know, hand roll our own in general or have other people hand roll their own fixes for vulnerabilities uh, because you could be introducing another vulnerability or, or something else. So yeah, you attach your deb diff to the bug and then we will go and review that. When you are doing that, you know, there's a number of different uh, things you need to do. We've actually got some documentation on what the format is for that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I've got some links in the show notes to all of that. Uh, what then happens is then we go and review that, as I say, to make sure that it, it looks correct. It looks like you've taken the right patch from upstream. You haven't made any other changes, that kind of thing. You've done a you know, well-formatted change log entry. It all looks kind of nice. Uh, and then we go and build the package and then we'll go and do a small amount of testing and then we upload it usually uh, to the Ubuntu security proposed PPA. So uh, PPA is part of Launchpad where you can create your own personal package archive. They're kind of like additions that you can add to say the Ubuntu archive that then have extra packages within them. Uh, in our case, we maintain uh, a public one uh, that has the uh, packages that we're planning to release in the near future. So we'll upload your package to that and that then gives us and you a chance to test it from there. So then you can uh, you know, add that to your app sources, you can upgrade to the package from that and then you can uh, do whatever tests are needed to validate that that is correct. We'll also do some testing on it as well. Obviously, you know, we want to make sure that the uh, updates are high quality as well. And then once that all looks good, we'll go and uh, release the packages into the security pocket of the releasing question and publish a USN as well. So to give you a bit of an example of what that looks like, I've actually got a link in the show notes to a recent bug uh, with a community member that we went over uh, where they initially proposed one set of changes. We kind of discussed there how that wasn't you know, really appropriate. We want just the bare minimum set of changes. And then you can see the attached deb diffs there as well and the resulting USN. That's all in uh, the show notes. The bug number in question is 1971185 for the SPIP package in Bionic if you want to go and look that up. 
Now we do have a lot of documentation on the Ubuntu wiki around this. In particular, you know, there's a lot of uh, tooling that you can use to make a lot of this easier. You know, we set up things like cheroots so that we're not building directly on uh, the machine in question, but you know, you build in a, a clean environment that is very similar to how Launchpad builds packages as well. We have a, a tool that wraps uh, the traditional uh, packages like dpackage build package or dev build uh, to actually do the builds. Uh, we have a tool that wraps uh, DCH, the Debian changelog uh, thing, uh, dport to upload. So it's all in this one tool called UMT. So I've got a link in the show notes that discusses a bit about that. Plus uh, our other tool, UVT, which is uh, kind of doing a, like easy libvirt-based uh, virtual machines. So you can then easily test uh, your packages as well in a clean environment, not having to test them, say, on your machine directly, or maybe you're doing a, you want to do a package update for, say, Bionic, but you're running Focal now. You don't have to have a, a Bionic machine to do that. You can set up a Bionic Chiroot to build the package in, and then you can actually set up a Bionic VM to test the package as well. So yeah, uh, have check out the show notes if there's anything that, uh, you know, that really does interest you, you want to get into it as well. Uh, you know, ask questions, feel free as always. Uh, you know, we're more than happy to answer your questions. Hop into the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, the IRC network, and we'd be more than happy uh, to help you along your way uh, to patching your favorite package in Ubuntu. All right. So the other thing I did want to mention in this week's episode is uh, the uh, Ubuntu 2204.1 point release that was due to come out uh, today, but unfortunately has been delayed. Uh, it is delayed now for another week. That will come out with any luck on the 11th of August. Uh, you can see the current test status in the ISO tracker, which is uh, the kind of web system that we use for uh, defining all the different candidate ISO images and the various tests that need to be run against them and to pass before the releases are made. In particular, uh, there was a bug that was found late in the process around the OEM install process for Ubuntu. So you're probably used to installing Ubuntu on your machine. You know, if you're running the desktop uh, image, you'll be installing that through the graphical installer. If you're running server, you'll install it through the, the server installer. But as part of the desktop installer, we have an OEM install mode that is used by OEMs who want to ship Ubuntu pre-installed on their machines. Uh, in that case, uh, it kind of runs most of the install process as the OEM. They then uh, click a little thing that says, uh, you know, set up for end user. Then when they power off the machine, the machine gets shipped to the end user, the end user powers it on, it boots into this OEM config uh, mode, they then go and set up their first user account, and off they go, they've got their machine without having to actually run through the whole install process themselves. Pretty cool stuff. But it was found that then once they had logged in as that user, uh, Firefox wouldn't start up. And actually not just Firefox, but anything that was a snap that had been already pre-installed as part of the install. Now there's only a couple snaps that we do install that way. One of them is Firefox. The other is the snap store, which is used then to install uh, not just snaps, but also devs as well from the graphical environment. And obviously having these two packages uh, not working out of the box in that mode is uh, you know not great because you can't get on the internet necessarily, or you can't get onto the web, should I say, uh, to be able to you know look up why isn't this working, and you can't install other software. Maybe you couldn't even install another browser graphically uh, to go and solve that. So again, not a great uh, bug to have. And so uh, a number of different people uh, were investigating this, uh, foundations team, desktop team, security team, and others to try to figure out what was going on here. Uh, so when, say, Firefox was started, it looked like it basically just didn't have any permissions. You know, AppArm, it would block anything it tried to do, and therefore it couldn't really do anything, and it just wouldn't start. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Firefox is a snap, and, you know, that's managed by SnapD. And SnapD, when we looked at the logs for it, it had started up, and it couldn't see any of the snaps on boot, which is really weird because they have been pre-installed. They're there. Uh, and so uh, the, the thing to know about snaps is that they are SquashFS images, they're their own separate file systems, and they're all meant to be mounted uh, early at boot uh, as their own systemd mount units. 
they'll specify uh, this wanted by equals multi-user target, which is to say to system D, the multi-user target wants all of these to be mounted. So that means that when uh, system D is booting the machine, as it's getting to the multi-user target, it'll make sure that all of those are mounted along the way, which is what we want. Multi-user is kind of equivalent to the old run level two, which is like you know kind of any multi-user system. So basically you're not booting in uh, like single user mode or you're not booting in recovery or anything like that, or you're not obviously shutting down the machine. You're just doing a normal boot, whether that's a graphical login or not. So yeah, it's sort of odd that they uh, haven't been mounted and we could see that, that those mount units hadn't fired. Then looking into it a bit more, uh, it's, it was noticed that the OEM installer, what that does is so that when the user first, or the end user first powers on the machine, it boots into this OEM config so they can set up their user. It changes the default uh, boot target from multi-user to be its own OEM config target. As a result then, uh, the snap mount, uh, the mount units never actually got mounted. SnapD eventually does get started. From what we can tell, it's probably because of the new SnapD desktop integration system that is used to uh, automatically install theme snaps if you change your theme so that snaps are also appropriately themed as well. Uh, but yeah, it could be something else. But basically something ends up activating SnapD socket that starts up SnapD, but the uh, snaps themselves have never got mounted. They're not there. It then uh, wants to go and say generate app armor policies for them or to inspect what various interfaces they want to be connected to. It can't see them. It therefore thinks that none of them want to be connected to anything. They end up with no policy, uh, no interface connections. And then when they do eventually start up, uh, after having been mounted, uh, they can't see anything. They're completely isolated, completely sandboxed, and they can't do anything at all. So uh, the fix here really was uh, relatively simple after that. It's to, uh, not just to specify these mount units want the multi-user target in the case because we've got OEM config running setting its own target. Uh, we then change it to default target. That means that no matter which target has been set as the default target, uh, all the mount units should be appropriately mounted. Then when, uh, you know, whether it's OEM config that runs or the normal uh, multi-user target, they should be there. Uh, SnapD should see them and everything should just work as expected. So the fix for this in SnapD has already been merged. I don't think a new SnapD release has yet been made, but that will happen in the, the near term. So yeah, with any luck, uh, this release will go out uh, on, well, on this now delayed date of the 11th of August. But yeah, an interesting one to look at nonetheless. And you're good to see our various teams collaborating on that to get it fixed uh, so that yeah, we can get the release out, even if it is a bit late, but still high quality. And make sure that yeah, everyone's machines are working as they expect, whether you use the normal installer or the OEM installer. Alright, so that does take us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can email us at securityubuntu.com. We do hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, the IRC network, and we are on Twitter too, at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. We will be back again with you next week, but until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.